Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you and I thank you. Lord, I surrender all. I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for their hearts. And I just pray that we could hear your word, Lord, and that we would learn more and more about you. I pray that the lives of Joseph and Judah could teach us something. And that we would learn to, to lean into you and to see this promise that you have fulfilled. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The kids can be dismissed. Man. Last year about this time, I preached the same day and I had COVID up here. I feel a lot better today, so... We're in the last two weeks of this Genesis foundation of the gospel, and we're going to spend two weeks on Joseph. And I'm going to preach this week and next week, and I've prepared two messages. And this first week, we're going to start talking about this, this promised child, this theme that we've seen in Genesis. But in order to see this theme, we have to first look at Genesis 50, verse 20, and we're going to see this interlaced through Joseph's life. It says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph right here, he's talking to his brothers, and we're going to see God's providence, but I want us today to see God fulfilling His promises. So in this biography, I hate calling it a story because this really is the biography of Jesus and all the people that God uses to complete this biography. And Jesus is the ultimate child of promise, but there is a collection of promises fulfilled in the children leading up to Christ. So who is the child of promise in this generation of the Israelites? And as we unpack this story, you're going to find out that it looks a lot more like Dallas than it does Leave it to Beaver. Right, This Hebrew family of Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah, you're going to notice they are messed up. Man, listen to this Hebrew soap opera. You have a deceptive father-in-law in Laman, deceptive business practices, sibling rivalry, multiple wives, you have murder. The oldest son, Reuben, has an affair with Bilhah, his father's concubine, which takes away his birthright, which is awful. But even in that, you're going to see that this desire... To be back in his father's good graces helps to save the life of Joseph. Man, this story. And then we see Simeon and Levi who, who kill all these men who raped their sister. And then they steal everything to give them punishment for what they did to their sister, Dinah. Man, you cannot make this stuff up. And if this isn't enough, Joseph has a favorite son, or Jacob has a favorite son, Joseph from his favorite wife, Rachel. I mean, aren't you glad you don't have that problem? <laughs> Guys, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, and then they lie to their dad about him being killed by all these animals. This whole story is like sister wives and days of our lives have an illegitimate child. <laughs> Guys, what is so interesting is that if I was writing this story, Joseph will be the child of promise. But the Holy Spirit is directing it. The Holy Spirit is going to bring about Judah as the child of promise. And you see, I get it. Joseph is important. And without Joseph, there is no Judah. And without Judah, there is no Jesus. 
And then we look at Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. She was barren like Sarah and Rebecca. I mean, having a child is literally a miracle. And then we see Joseph. He's also this example of this pre-Christ-like figure. He receives the blessing from Jacob. He receives the blessing from God. But yet the Holy Spirit directs the line through Judah. Matthew 1, 2 and 3. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Guys, if I was writing this story, it would say Jacob the father of Joseph and his brothers, and Joseph fathered Manasseh and Ephraim by Asenath, and Ephraim fathered Hezron, and so on. Guys, if I was just writing this story so that we could have some grand religion, I would have went through the line of Joseph, but not what happens in our Bible. The promise is going to go through Judah. And if not Joseph, wouldn't it have gone through Reuben, who was the firstborn, but he's passed over because of his sin? And then we see Simeon and Levi, and they're passed over because of the murder of these men who raped their sister. But when Jacob gets to his fourth son, he utters one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible. I mean, literally, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him as he prophesies Judah being a leader in Israel. The people of Judah would be like a lion in courage and in strength. Their tribe would lead the way as the other 11 tribes would follow. Now, there are a lot of leaders in this Bible, and they are from different tribes, but it is talking right here about the leader. It's talking about Jesus, the biography of this entire book. It might as well be an autobiography as the Holy Spirit and God and Christ are writing this story, unfolding this biography of Jesus, the salvation of the world. Listen to this prophecy in Genesis 49, 8-10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you, your hands shall be on their neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and a lioness. Who dares arouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Man, as I read that, it's so cool. I see the scepter as this sign of, of royal authority. And right now, Joseph, when we get to this part of the story, he is the royal authority. And yet Jacob, he sees past the present to an ultimate future in Christ. So let's pick up the storyline. You have this 17-year-old Joseph who on the surface seems conceited and some would say naive. I mean, if I was telling the story, this is part of my family, I would tell you that he's a spoiled little brat. But as I read on about Joseph, man, I don't think so. I don't see any examples of this throughout the rest of Scripture. I believe that Joseph was just in tune with what the Spirit was trying to tell him, and he could not hold it in as he was telling his brothers about what God had done. He was so incredibly obedient. And as I look at this story, I think it makes sense that he would be his father's favorite. I mean, did you not listen to the soap opera that I just described? Joseph is a dream. My kids, and I don't know about you, but they're always asking me who their favorite is. It's probably not good, but it is what it is. And don't judge my parenting, it'll probably come back to haunt you. 
And I know the canned answer is, I don't have a favorite, or you're all my favorite, right? But I'm telling you, when you're trying to get ready for church in the morning, and one of your sons, or the son, (laughs) has soap in his mouth, I'm telling you that he's probably not your favorite right there at that moment. (laughs) And whether we like it or not, we tend to favor the one that is obedient at the time. Guys, my favorite seems to be the one at the moment that is behaving. And that seems to be far and few between. (laughs) Guys. (laughs) I don't know yet. So Joseph is the favorite, not just because he's from his favorite wife, but also because he's the most obedient, the most obedient and the easiest. And you're going to see these characteristics played out by Joseph throughout Genesis as he interprets dreams that God gives him to just the right people at just the right time. I mean, think about this. If you had a dream that your older brothers were going to bow to you, you would most likely keep that to yourself. I mean, that would be the best way to do it, but not Joseph. He feels the Holy Spirit, and he just has to tell them what is going on, and obviously there's some jealousy going on. And God, He uses these moments to fulfill this promise. This promise that He has for the people of Abraham. This promise that He has for a future son to come. And if one dream's not enough, Joseph has a second one. And it says this, Genesis 37, 9 through 11. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, of course, right? But his father kept the saying in mind. I cannot imagine telling my father that he was going to bow to me someday. I know my dad. He'd be like, over my dead body. (laughs) But I am not Joseph. Guys, I am not Joseph at all. I am not a pre-Christ-like symbol. Joseph is demonstrating these pre-Christ-like events. And as we see this bowing story, where else in the Bible do we see at least one parent and some of his family members bowing to him? Jesus. Guys, what would it take for you to bow to your brother? I know my brothers a whole lot, and it would take the resurrection. (laughs) And that's exactly what James and Jude do. And then his mother, Mary, surrenders her life to him. So we move on. Joseph is this pre-Christ-like figure. And he is so incredibly important to this promise, but he is not the seed of Christ. He is a symbol of the Christ to come. He is just a symbol. He is not Christ. You see, he could save his people, but Christ saves everyone. And it doesn't stop there. We see this symbol of being raised from the dead. Think about Joseph. At least to his father, he is literally raised to life. Throughout this story, how many times does God keep Joseph safe? It is an absolute miracle that Joseph does not die. Look at everything that happens. He shouldn't have probably been born in the first place. 
His brothers wanted to kill him. He was placed in prison because Potiphar's wife lies about him wanting to sleep with her, which should have ended up getting him killed, not put in prison. Then basically while he's in prison, he interprets a dream of the chief baker who ends up dying. And then while he's in prison, just so happens that Pharaoh comes to him and wants him to interpret a dream. Guess what happens if he doesn't interpret that dream the way Pharaoh wants? Joseph's dead. But I love Joseph. He continually speaks truth. He speaks truth even when it's not in his best interest. That's our Joseph. And then we go on. Like Jesus, we see one of the people in the Bible. Joseph is one of those people who we do not see any sin recorded about him. Now we know that there was sin. We know that Jesus is perfect, but we don't read about it in the Bible. Now some would say the way he treats his brothers at the end was sin, but I don't think so. I think he's testing them. God is using him to to fulfill this promise that he has for these children of Abraham. So Joseph is a pre-Christ-like figure. He is obedient. He is blessed by God. He is the logical child of promise. And yet we have this crazy story in Genesis 38. This story takes the soap opera to an entirely different level. I am not sure I've ever heard a sermon on Genesis 38. That's not going to stop me. Does anybody else here feel blindsided by this? I mean, we just get into this story about Joseph, and right away we get this story about Judah and Tamar. But this story is so important. You see, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers at just the right time. And he just happens to end up in Potiphar's house, who just happens to be an official of Pharaoh. Guys, if you think just so happens, happens, then you're not reading this Bible. God is orchestrating. God is orchestrating all of this as we pick it up in Genesis 38, 1 and 2. It happened at that time Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. So basically Judah is feeling guilty. He is feeling guilty for what him and his brothers have done. And if you look back, you see this idea from Judah to sell off Judah or Joseph. Genesis 37, 26 and 27. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he has our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Judah is the leader of this bunch. Judah saved Joseph's life, yes, but he could have saved it without selling him into slavery. But the truth of the matter is he's just a little bit annoyed by Joseph like all of us would be. And now he's feeling this conviction. He's feeling this conviction for what he has done. All 12 brothers keep this secret for a long time. And when we keep secrets in our life, for a long time it eats at us. It eats at every one of us. And as it's eaten at him, he starts to wrestle with this decision. Guys, when we're wrestling with these decisions, God can use us. When we're bothered by our sin, that is when our God can use us. We do not have to be perfect. But we must not be oblivious to our sin. And Judah, he can't take the guilt anymore. And he takes off to go hang out with his bro, Hira. And I think all of us have had a Hira in our life at some time. He runs from this situation. He marries a Canaanite named Shuna. And he tries his darndest to bring Canaanite blood into the line of Jesus. But God's like, nope. 
He has a son, his first son, Ur, and he marries a lady named Tamar who is a believer. But she is not in the line of Abraham. She's actually in the line of Noah. I think sometimes we forget that there are other believers, that Abraham's family is just the promise. It tells us this in some extra biblical text from the Jewish people. Before they can have a son, the Bible tells us that Ur is wicked and he dies. And at the time, it was custom that the next brother would take the wife of their dead brother. Not only to protect the woman, but to extend his line to the next generation. Guys, it's not our culture. We don't always get it. But it was to protect the women and respected their brother. So next in line for Tamar is Onan. But Onan, he lacked loyalty and God puts him to death also. Sometimes we struggle with this type of text. But we have to stop and think that God has the right to decide who lives and dies. He does it with every single one of us. We don't know the time that we will die. We don't know the time that anybody will die. God directs each and every one of us. The difference is that some of us will die to life and some of us will die to bondage. Ur and Onan, they died to bondage. Guys, I didn't write the Bible. I just preach it. And next up is this young man named Shelah. Shelah is too young, so his dad sends Tamar back to her own father before, so that she can get older and he can get older so that she could come and be his wife. But Judah does not give her to him. Because Judah basically thinks that Tamar is cursed. He does not want to lose a third son. Man, I cannot blame the guy. And if that's not enough, Judah loses his wife. So before we start judging this next story, let's show a little empathy for my man Judah. I cannot imagine going through what he's going through. Losing my sons, losing my wife, as God directs this plan. And what happens next is a true story. You see, Judah, he goes to seek out a prostitute. The father of Jesus, down the line, goes to seek out a prostitute. Guys, this sounds more like Jerry Springer than the, than the Word of God. Man, I'm reading this all week going, man, these are some messed up people, and yet God loves them. It's why I believe that this Bible is true. If I was just writing this Bible, and I wanted you to have a religion, and I wanted to make it look like, like everything was perfect, I would write different things than this, but that's not the case. God writes us exactly who we are and we see the glory of God as He transforms us to be more like Him. Powerful. Tamar's frustrated. I mean, having a son in this culture is everything. And she knows that Judah is hiding Shelah from her, her ability to have a son. So she comes up with a plan. She puts on a veil and she deceives him. And she sleeps with him. And Judah's not innocent, of course. And he promises a young goat, but he doesn't have it on him, so he gives her his cord and his staff as a sign that he'll bring payment. And of course, like any good soap opera, she becomes pregnant with twins. Judah had no idea, and three months later, you start seeing a little baby bump. Judah is mad, and he goes to have her killed. Genesis 38, 24-26, about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. 
and she was brought out. She sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And Judah's like, okay. And then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. Guys, are you reading? Are you listening to this story? We are never too messed up to be loved by Jesus. And if you ever think that, you are not reading this book. God loves a messed up Judah. God blesses him. And our Jesus is for the battered and the broken. The church is for the messed up who have put their faith in the one who is whole, the one who is complete, the one who is perfect. Guys, it is not about our perfection, but our recognition of our faults and our acknowledgement of a need of a Savior, a physician, a healer. I love 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In all of Judah's faults, you see an empathetic man who recognized that he messed up, who is repentant, who owns up to it. And Tamar is going to be used by God to be the mother of Perez, who fathers Hezron and down the line. Our God is protecting the line of Jesus. He is protecting the promise that we see throughout the book of Genesis. Man, being a follower of Jesus Christ is not about doing everything right. It's about loving Jesus. It's about admitting our faults. It's about being repentant and focusing on Him. Judah could have had Tamar killed and nobody would have said a thing, but at that moment, he recognizes his unrighteousness. He recognizes his need for righteousness. And I think at that moment, his life was changed. You see, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness holds everything together. That and love. I mean, as we look at all the places in our life, when we look at all the places in the story, we see God intercede Genesis 38 is truth. And we can learn so much from Judah, his humility in verse 26. Guys, we could be the worst person in the world and it only gives glory to Christ in more ways if we seek forgiveness and humble ourselves and turn to Jesus. Now for the next few moments, I'm going to speculate. But I don't think it's that far-fetched. We see Judah who obviously goes back home. We see that he takes responsibility. He takes on leadership for the things that he has done. He is a leader in the family, just what God wanted him to do. And I believe it's an example of the prodigal son. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus is telling this story in the Gospels. I don't know. You see, Judah, he does some of the same things as the prodigal son when Jesus tells this story. He leaves the family. He strays from moral standards. But the best part about it is when he returns, he returns to the open hands of a loving Father. Guys, this is the way that God looks at us. Luke 15.20, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. He ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. How do we see things a long way off? We are looking for them. Our Father in heaven is looking for you. 
He does not want to punish you. He wants to have compassion for you. And He will run to you. And He will embrace you. And He will kiss you. Man, can you imagine Jacob who lost Joseph and lost Judah. And now he sees Judah coming over the hill. And he runs to him so that he can embrace him. His heart is filled with joy. Judah tried to stray, but God is faithful. He did it in his marriage. He did it in his immoral life. But our God is always faithful. He provides the right woman to pass the line, this promise that is fulfilled throughout this story at the end of Genesis. God fulfills promises to repentant people. And you see, God might use us if we are not in a relationship with Him. But when we have a relationship with God, we get to be a part of the promise. When we give our life to Christ, we get to see God's love. And love is a two-way street. And we cannot fully understand it or see it unless we are in a relationship with God. You see, as a father... I can show my love to my children as long as they want to be around me. But when they grow up, if they decide that they don't want anything to do with me and they disown me, there is no way that I can show my love to my children. And they might as well see it as hate, even though I still love them the same. Listen to Genesis 46.2. And God spoke to Israel, who is Jacob, in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Jacob said, here I am. When we say, here I am, we get to see God's love. We get to feel God's love. And when we ignore Him, all we can see is hate. Esau did not say, here I am. Therefore, all he would see is hate. Judah right here is getting to see the love of God because he recognizes his unrighteousness and his need for a Savior. God loves you. And He can show it to you when you surrender to Him. We have need for righteousness and that righteousness is only in Jesus Christ. God loves you. Jesus loves you and He can show it when you surrender to Him. God loved Judah. We see it in the blessing that Jacob gives him in Genesis 49. Jacob just responds differently to Judah than he does his older brothers. In Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his 12 sons. And Judah is the one that we see this obedience of the people through Jesus. It's not Reuben the oldest. He was not remorseful for the evil things that he had done with Bilhah the concubine. And not one time does this Bible tell us about an apology. Repentance from Reuben. In fact, Reuben continually tries to prove his worthiness by the works that he does. His very name means to see Leah is continually trying to make Jacob see her as she produces something, son after son after son. She continually tries to do things to get back in the good graces of Jacob to make him see her. And Reuben is doing the exact same thing. 
You see, he needs to see his inability to work his way into favor with Jacob. Only repentance begins restoration. He tries to save Joseph for himself. He tries to save Simeon for himself. He wants to earn the love of the Father and it is not possible. We cannot work for Christ's love. We can only surrender ourselves to receive it. Not one time does it record Reuben being apologetic. And what about his brothers, Simeon and Levi? We do not see one time Simeon and Levi seeking out forgiveness for taking the life of so many when Dinah was raped. When Dinah was raped. They bring trouble on Jacob's family. We must remember as we read this story, the whole point is for this family to survive. They were few, but that other tribes were many. And Jacob, he gets after them because they could have destroyed the family. And this is exactly how they respond in Genesis 34-31. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Every one of us probably would have said the same thing. They were not worried about humbling themselves and seeing the big picture. You see, most of us would be more bothered by the mercy if they gave it rather than what they actually did to redeem their sister. But the power is not in that. The vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is God. And it says it throughout this Bible. Our burden. Our burden is forgiveness. Our burden is reconciliation. Our burden is love and peace. And there is no repentance from Simeon and Levi. They are oblivious to God's ways. But as I read this word, I see repentance in Judah. Judah was a prodigal. He was a sinner in need of a Savior. And we see this blessing that God gives him. And I think that on that day when Damar said that, he understood his need for a Savior. And he went back to the house and he took on the responsibility. And he did what God has called him to do. And he fulfilled the promises that God had for him. Protected Perez, who would be this next child in promise. God recognizes and blesses those that are repentant. It is impossible to fully see God's love when we are oblivious like Simeon and Levi, when we're working for it like Reuben. Only through recognizing our sins can we truly be blessed. Only by recognizing that we cannot do it our own can we understand the power of a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the true promised trial, and His promise flows out of us to all of those who call on His name. We can learn so much from Judah the prodigal. And next week, we will learn so much from Joseph, the one who is obedient. And you see, God will use all of those who call on His name. God uses those who trust in Jesus, regardless of whether we are a kid, we are lightly seasoned, or we are aged to perfection. God. God shows His love to those that acknowledge Him. And so application for this week, it is short. I challenge each and every one of us to confess our sins. I challenge each and every one of us to give them to Christ and to live a life in obedience not because we have to, but because we get to 
Because we have a loving Father that opens His arms to us and when He sees us in a distance, He runs to us and He embraces us and kisses us. And that is the Father that we get to confess our sins to each and every day. Think about that. How powerful is that in your life? And as we love God, we get to share that love and it gets to flow out of us to other people. Guys, this book is truth. And the more I study it, the more I understand it, the more I know that God wrote it exactly for me and He wrote it exactly for you and He loves me. And He so desperately wants to embrace me. I don't deserve a thing. But He loves me still the same. And because of that, I challenge you to to be like Joseph, to be like Judah, and not like Reuben, and not like Simeon, and not like Levi. To be like a child of God, a child of the promise. You are loved by the Creator of everything, but more than that, He wants to have a relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You so much that through Your Word we can see each and every day that You love us. That we can see each and every day that You don't want to punish me, but You want to have compassion for me. Lord, help us to to confess the things in our life, but more importantly, to turn towards You to have a heart of repentance. A heart that loves you and a heart that, that cares about you. And a heart that wants to share that with others. Lord, I thank you so dearly that you saved the prodigal. And that a sinner is saved by grace and that I can be in your presence. And that you will embrace me. And that you will kiss me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.